Hi everyone, welcome back to Social Problems. Uh, we are on week 11. I hope you guys did okay with your exams. Um, I hope you guys are thinking about your research paper, right? That's due soon. Um, so make sure you guys are staying on top of things. Um, last week, we our last topic, we had our exam, but the topic before that, we talked about health. Um, for this class, we're going to be talking about education, um, looking at, again, some basic definitions of education, looking at our system, um, and of course, going through our sociological theories of, of education. Um, and so on the first couple slides, as I usually do, I have just some uh, definitions of education. Um, and it's important to remember that education and schooling are not the same thing. Um, and education is a social institution, right? And so we use education in terms of not only transferring knowledge, but also doing things like cultural norms um, that is value to members. And so when we think about cultural norms in education, for example, uh, we think about things like how you address people. We would look at things um, based on languages. Um, and so you learn cultural norms in a classroom um, just as much as you learn other types of knowledge. And schooling, right, is is basically uh, within the educational system um, and schooling is just a formal instructor, sorry, instruction carried out by a trained teacher. And that means that um, schooling is just someone teaching you sort of the facts um, when education is a larger sort of social system. Um, I'm going to skip to the American system, um, which is on slide eight. Um, and again, just some, I, the rest of the slides are just sort of some backgrounds in terms of education. Um, we have a quite an extensive education program. I just have some, some facts for you there. Um, but unfortunately, as much as how well we don't rank, rank in health, we, we also have some issues in terms of our world rank, rankings with the education system. We're not the best. We're not the worst. We're kind of smack in the middle. Um, and I think it's, it's really interesting in terms of how, what we think about education and how we treat education, um, in, in terms of the, this country. Um, we have a very interesting way that we fund education. Um, for example, a lot of uh, countries fund it through national budgets, where a lot of our education is funded through tax properties. So this is why we have a lot of schools very close to each other. Um, some of them are really good, some of them are really bad, uh, based on how much housing, how much houses cost. So if you live in an area where a house costs a million dollars, the income tax from the house uh, would usually provide a very good public school. If you live in an area where an average house will cost $30,000, um, you're more likely not having a lot more uh, funding going into that school. And so uh, schools also, public schools also get federal and state aid, but income tax is a major contributor when we think of um, housing, t uh, sorry, schooling, um, and why we have such a differences in terms of good public schools um, and, and not so great public schools. Um, 
when it comes to looking at sort of the inequalities of our education system, um, again, breaking down between race, class, and gender, um, there's a lot of interesting facts in terms of education where we see um, that Asian Americans usually score higher than their white counterparts, where Latinx and uh, blacks usually score lower uh, than their white counterparts. And again, it has a lot to do with certain aspects like culture, and income particularly, um, where again, if you have access to um, bigger uh, places with bigger houses, better property tax, you have better schools, um, where if, if you don't live in these areas, um, you have, you know, your school is not as great. Um, and therefore income plays, as I said, a very big role in that while we see a lot of these SAT scores average so much, uh, we see cultural aspects being really important. And so Asian Americans, um, and again, I'm sorry, I'm grouping people up and like to be Asian and Latinx is, is obviously a very diverse community. Um, but in terms of fitting everything in, in 20 minutes and just looking at some average statistics, uh, we see uh, a lot of different cultures in, um, and here in the U.S. Um, that fit under this Asian American category um, usually have he heavy emphasis on on schooling. Um, and so therefore, this is why we see a higher percentage in terms of SAT scores. Um, and I and I talk about this on slide 15, giving you some more uh, statistics on this. Um, in terms of class, as I said, class being one of the biggest functions in terms of of how we attain education um, resources is really important um, and having resources for school is you know it, um, could really make a difference for example i went to a public school but i went to one of the most uh, well-funded public schools um, i went to a public school called santa monica high school where an average house in Santa Monica could be up to $4 million. My family did not live in Santa Monica. I got a permit to go to the school. Um, but we had, in, in terms of this, we had so much access to so many things, field trips, languages, um, right outside programs, et cetera, et cetera. And having access to this obviously improves things like education. Um, and so, um, for example, in my public high school, we had seven language programs, right? You could take Japanese, you could take Chinese, you could take German, you could take French, you could take Spanish. Um, and, and so having that access, um, you know, uh, it's, you know, it, the more you have access to, the better in terms of, of the education. Um, and that's really important to think about when we think about class in a sense. Sorry, I hope I didn't go too much out of focus there. Um, usually if we were in a class, I would have shown you a picture. So you could Google Santa Monica High School and you could look at the, the campus and, um, right, and see what it is. Um, in terms of also inequality, in terms of class, uh, parents that have higher incomes are able to give their ch children things like cultural capital, things like computers, for example, things like tutors, for example, um, internet access, right? And again, COVID kind of, um, kind of heightens this sort of inequality we have with education where a lot of students don't have internet access and so they can't do this online learning um, right that they would usually get or learning they would usually get in the classroom and so things like this is really important um, uh, again another personal example uh, my my nephew is at home learning um, and my brother bought him an iPad right like this is on top of his school computer that he got so these are these are things that um, 
you know, class, class matters in that sense. Um, and so obviously, um, right. The, the, if you're in a higher class, you're more likely to get things that, that help aid education. In terms of gender, we, we have, and we talked about this in our gender lecture where we have a lot of stereotyping, um, where we see still men and women being shoveled off to different types of programs, um, where, we see women usually in things like humanities and social sciences and men usually programmed to, uh, to, to head into things like STEM. I don't have to tell you which pays more because we've talked about this in the gender, um, in our gender lecture. Um, and so we still see a lot of differences, um, and a lot of problems when it comes to education and, and gender as well. Um, I'm going to go ahead and switch over now to our sociological perspective of education, uh, where we see that functionalists argue that education institution serves a very important task for society, um, where, again, it's not just about uh, teaching students knowledge, it's also about teaching students socialization. And that's really important for societies, um, because, again, um, for societies to function, there has to be some type of similarities within groups. Um, and so you learn these similarities based on um, going to school. Of course, what parents are learning now in the time of uh, COVID, it's also custodial care, uh, which is really important, right? So people could go to work. Um, it is a place to to keep kids, especially this is true when uh, before in the early, sorry, and in, in before um, child labor laws came out in the early 20th century where uh, children will usually work. Uh, now, what do you do when these kids are out of work or not working, right? They, they need a place to go. And so we see that in terms of our education expanding because it serves as, as that, as that important function. Um, so I have it in more details there for you on the next slides, right? Um, about this idea of right instruction, socialization, uh, statuses, and of course, um, looking over kids. Um, if you're a conflict theorist, you're looking at how education really uh, divides class positions, um, particularly when we think about elites um, in what type of educational system. Um, they argue, conflict theorists also argue that socialization in education also really, uh, particularly within the West, indoctrinates students into a capitalist ideology. Um, and so what that means is that they look at how um, education sorts people based on this class narrative, and they also look at how it, it kind of gets us in the socialization to like capitalism. So for example, um, if you're around your friends and you're wearing shoes that are not popular in the school, you know, school grounds, you might get teased. So you, you might want to buy better shoes, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and co conflict theorists are, are kind of really interested in terms of, of how education is used to sort of shape our kind of mindsets in terms of socialization and in norms. Um, and so they're looking at how what we learn in education is useful. Um, education is, as, as an institution is a very powerful tool. 
Um, it's, it's no mistake that when people usually get into power, education is one of the things that they look at. Um, and so we have a lot of history of dictators getting into power and then going after education. Um, right when Hitler was in power, he formed uh, the Hitler Youth, right? This program taught in schools. Um, and again, so it's, it's, it's conflict theorists would kind of look at these, how um, education is used as, as this type of tool. Um, uh, conflict theorists also look at this idea of access, again, access to go to better schools. So for example, um, the SATs I think is a really great example and something that people have been questioning recently in terms of how useful are SAT scores. Um, so if you have a lot more money, uh, you know, you could, we see the most extreme cases where you could pay someone to take your SATs you know, for you, which is, of course, happened. And it was a big scandal recently. Um, but even like things that are deemed legal, like you could get a tutor, you could go to classes, like all these things you have to pay for. And obviously, if you have the money to do this, you're more likely to have better SAT scores compared to people who don't have access to tutors um, or or classes that, that do this. Conflict theory, there's also argue that uh, education is very um, concrete and it ignores a lot of people's history. A lot of things that we're talking about also within the U.S. right now, how history is taught, uh, particularly how it leaves out a lot of perspective of people of color in this country. Um, and this has been a battle that has been happening for the past 10 years, uh, particularly this idea of ethnic studies. Um, is it useful? Is it not useful? Should it be mandatory? Should it be not? You have states like California that made ethnic studies mandatory in colleges at the University of California and at California states. But you have places like Arizona who want to ban ethnic studies and, and find it a divide. Um, and so I left a little YouTube clip for you on slide 27 that you can kind of look at the conversation around um, Arizona particularly. If you're a symbolic interactionist, you're looking at how... Um, um, you're kind of closer to conflict theory in a sense that you're looking at how education shapes people's way of thinking, uh, particularly something known as cultural imperialism. Um, and that's really looking at how um, societies, colonial societies go in and then uh, teach people a certain way. Um, and so a really good example of this is Ireland. So um, the Irish have their own language, right? Um, Irish. Um, but because they were a colony, the English changed their education system and made them learn in English. Um, and so in Ireland, people speak English mostly, right? They learn in English. Um, they do have to take an Irish course, but they're not, quote unquote, learning in Irish. And so if you're a symbolic interactionist, you might look at things at how colonial countries shape things in terms of education. So you would look at how England shaped the Irish education system by getting rid of the Irish language and replacing it with English. Um, they also look at something known as um, sort of teacher-student interactions, um, something known as the self-fulfilling prophecy. And I've talked about this before with labeling theory, um, but it's really looking at how students and teachers interact with each other and how you have a lot of, um, and this could go both positive and negative, where um, student interaction, if the teacher is very encouraging to a student, a student's more likely to do better. Where it's the opposite, if this, this teacher is not encouraging and, and finds a student, you know, like, he's a bad student, I don't like teaching you, et cetera, et cetera, I'm more likely to do worse. Um, and so symbolic interactionists will kind of look at that relationship between teacher and student. All right, I'm going to go ahead and, and exit out of 
um, week 11 and um, go ahead and kind of talk about um, what are our most important education conversations on, and that's in week 11, part two is about Brown versus educate, uh, Brown versus board of education. Um, this has been one of the most, uh, influential decisions in terms of our society when it comes to thinking about educational systems here in the U S. Um, it's really important. It changed the way our schools act. And a lot of people argue that, uh, since this decision, we had things like the rise of private school. We have, we have still continued to try to, um, enact this sort of segregation in this country. Um, and so I, I think it's really important that you guys know what Brown versus Board of Education is if you don't know. And I think it's really important to kind of think about what's the future of that. And I have a video for you guys that I do want you to watch, uh, particularly Brown now and after. It's it's kind of talks about um, sort of where we are in terms of Brown versus education and, and kind of where... Um, where where we kind of need to be and that's on slide seven um but before i just want to talk to you about before and the after so i'll start with the before so before brown versus education um we had something known as jim crow separate but equal schooling um and that's where we had known as segregated schooling so blacks would go to one school um whites would go to one school this was also true for a lot of people of color so i know we think about it in terms of the south black white dynamic um but we saw this happening quite a lot in other areas and so if you're from california for example that has a very big asian population um you would see the segregation of that um we would see uh, people, Blacks and a uh, Latinx community going to the same school. And so segregation, although talked about in a Black-White dynamic, happened to um, most people of color all across, um, all across the country. Um, however, um, in the after World War II, we have a rise in terms of fighting of civil rights and obviously education being kind of the finding way of, in terms of how we look at social mobility, um, came a really important aspect of civil rights. And um, Brown versus Education is, is consisted of five lawsuits um, from different countries, Virginia being one of them, right? Um, and there's a famous example right down the street from us, right? In Prince Edward County that I talked about, um, that I have the video for you guys there um on on slide seven and so that included within the the brown versus education case um and you saw that um what was happening in sort of after world war ii um sort of this rise to try to um desegregate schools um and at first the conversation around that is is how to make um, minority schools better, right? How do I? How do we make minority schools better? And a lot of people argued this this will not be the case that they will never be better unless they desegregate. And so, rather than fighting with this idea of separate but equal, right, where we have um, before quote unquote in this country, it had to be the fight had to be around desegregation. Um, and so. Um, where we have in Brown versus education, we're five lawsuits, as I said, um, Virginia being one of them, take it all the way to the Supreme Court to fight against um, segregation. Um, with, of course, I know you guys know um, Thurgo Marshall, right? Who's 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 the most uh, famous 
person on this case. Uh, but we also have J.A. Delane, who was a lawyer in um, South Carolina, who was also fighting uh, for desegregation in South Carolina. And he brings Marshall kind of on this case. And so um, you have... Um, you have a lot of people involved in terms of desegregating schools, although Marshall kind of is sort of the main lawyer. And uh, Delane goes to Marshall for help um, because he's working in South Carolina um, and in terms of trying to work on one of the five cases. Um, and and then, of course, um, places like Virginia get involved uh, when they go to the NAACP, right? They, they argue Virginia has the strike. These students, right, it's, it's the only student-led strike in Virginia – um, and the students go to the NAACP and they say, you can't fight for better conditions. You have to fight for desegregation. And they join onto this Brown versus education case. Um, so there's a lot of players involved in terms of, um, how this kind of case forms. Um, what's really interesting about the Brown versus education case, right? Um, is really the way Marshall kind of argues it. Now he doesn't argue about this idea of equality. He doesn't argue about this idea of, of the importance of, you know, of this sort of American dream system. Really he's challenging Plessy versus Ferguson, which is the case that decided separate but equal. And he argues that really what you have here is that in this process of segregations, um, it's creating a stigma, particularly a negative image of self for black people. And he takes this very psychological perspective in the courtroom that because of the segregation, um, you're getting this negative image of self. And this is not what education is for. And so he kind of, he kind of, he talks about equality, but he kind of scapegoes it in a sense of looking at how these conditions are and looking at the psychological perspective of what the education is, is doing uh, when they belong to the, when uh, we have segregation in schools. Um, because the court questions when we think about um, lawsuits is, is about this idea of arguing the legal case, right? And so Marshall had to argue this legal case, does being separate create equal education for both groups? Um, of course it doesn't. And I have the quote there for you on site six, right? Uh, where they talk about it's, they say, we conclude that in the field of public education, the doctrine of separate but equal has no place. Separate education facilities are inherently unequal, right? And so therefore, Plessy versus Ferguson is rejected, right? And it, um, and Brown versus education becomes the rule of law in terms of education in our country, meaning desegregation. Now, as I said, Delane was the first lawyer on this case, um, where he started in, in uh, South Carolina. Uh, this when he started um, this case in South Carolina, it took him six years to go all the way up to the Supreme Court and, of course, for this decision to be made. So it took a very, I mean, if we don't even count other type of, of civil rights fight for education, but if we think of this one particularly, Delane, it took him six years to sort of reach this decision. So we have this decision of... Um, separate versus equal is inherently unequal, right? And therefore Plessy versus Ferguson gets rejected and Brown becomes the rule of the rule of education. Um, 
of course, we know um, desegregating was a lot harder. In the case of Virginia, we see that schools were just shut down for about six years, um, where then they created what we now think of charter schools, um, or quote unquote, private schools, they call them, but they're basically charter schools, private schools with government funding. Um, and private schools had a lot more initiatives or have a lot more power to reject people. Um, and therefore, um, in the Virginia case, um, public schools were shut down. These charter schools were, were created and whites would go to these schools. And a lot of black people in Virginia didn't get, um, they just missed out on education for, for about six years. Um, this obviously couldn't go on. Um, governments and state governments and people kept fighting for this. Um, and so I don't have time to tell you about the whole legacy in terms of education. Um, but when we think about in terms of where we are now within our education system, you know, it really does come from this Brown decision. That being said, um, we haven't also created sort of an equal place within education. I think that's something really to think about. And that's very important to think about. Um, we have systems like AP advanced placement, where you see a lot of racial divides, where we usually see AP classes filled with white and Asian students, um, and Latinx and black students are not within these classes. Again, we talked about access, not having access. Um, and we see this as we go into higher, higher in education. Um, I left you guys an article, the five things no one will tell you about higher education, particularly at a college level. Um, uh, looking at faculty of color, um, there's there's a lot of issues in terms of college education when we think about um, uh, people of color. And as we go further into our education, this becomes more noticeable. I know we're online right now, but maybe something to kind of think about when we're one day back and see. And of course, when you transfer uh, what school you go to and what that looks like. Um, so we still have quite a lot of ways to go when it comes to education. But in terms of how we think of it as a society and how we think of it legally, um, Brown versus education is, is a very important piece and something that I, I definitely had to talk about. Okay. Um, again, I try to keep it under 20 minutes, but I always fail. Uh, but of course, if you have any questions or need me to explain anything further, please let me know. Um, hope you guys are staying safe out there and I'll see you guys for the next lecture. Bye-bye.